Hi everybody. Today is part two of a three-part series on hope. Now when we use this word hope, we're not talking about a weak hope. We're not talking about some empty dream. We're talking about a weighty hope, a biblical hope, a hope that's an anchor for the soul. And our world could use some hope right now. Our world could use some more people of hope right now. And let's face it, even the most optimistic, faith-filled people among us might be experiencing a decline in hope right now. For this series, our model of hope is a man from the Bible named Noah. That's the Noah, the Noah that God commanded to build an ark and to fill it with animals because God was going to remake the world through a global flood. It's a calamity. It's the worst possible situation, but in the midst of it, Noah had hope. Last week, we looked at how we can have hope in the midst of the unknown. Noah and his family were basically in quarantine on that ark with lots of animals for a very long time as the world they knew was being swept away. When they left that ark, they entered a whole new world. Uh, quite literally, everything was new. It was unfamiliar, it was unknown, it was different. How do you have hope when it seems like the world that you know is being swept away? That's what we talked about last week. This week we're going to look at hope in the waiting. How do you have hope in those seasons where you're in waiting or feel like you're in between? Waiting is one of the most difficult things to do. In the midst of this global pandemic, People are still going to Disney World, located in a state that's a virus hotspot right now. They're going right now because Disney World is the happiest place in the world. Uh, they're going right now because they don't want to wait a whole year before they can go again. They're going right now because they think they can avoid long lines. And they're right. I read that the queue at some of the most popular uh, exhibits that are one to two hour rides usually in waiting, uh, the, the lines have reduced now to just five minutes. And some of you are scrolling right now looking at flights. You don't like to wait in lines. Now there's another kind of waiting that's good for us. Not easy for us, but good for us. And the Bible has this recurring phrase, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. And I want you to see one short example of this from the Psalms. So please listen as Emma and Addison read this passage for us. Take it away, girls. Psalm 27, 13 through 14. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Thank you for that excellent reading. David wrote these words in a time of waiting. And at the end of our service today, we're going to sing a song that picks up this theme of confidence in the waiting. My first time in a hospital waiting room was many years ago when I had an on-the-job injury. I was a youth pastor, very dangerous occupation. And we lived in England, and I just got off the church bus, and someone tossed me a football, and I dropped the box and positioned myself and that football just hit me the wrong way and it popped something in my finger. I could hear it immediately and I, I later learned that I had torn a, a, a ligament and had 
torn away a, a bone fragment and a pretty serious injury uh, to this finger. I made it through the weekend, uh, but then I did go into the little hospital in our village there in England, and the attending nurse asked how I had injured myself. And I was about to tell her football, and then I remembered that that word means something different in England, they, that's soccer. So I did some cultural translation, and I said I had injured myself playing rugby, a very tough sport similar to American football. And the attending nurse said, oh, we've got a lot of you today. And sure enough, there in the waiting room was a guy with a dislocated shoulder and somebody else with his foot up in a sling. And there I was uh, with my finger. Uh, it was the only time in my life I actually had hoped that my injury would be bigger. Uh, I was almost tempted to say, no, that's, that's the bone that's not broken, guys. And I waited in that waiting room for hours. I was there the whole day. I wasn't sure what was going on. I, I, I was worried about some of the guys in the room. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a bone sticking out of your leg. Uh, the British are exceedingly patient. Now, since that time, my waiting room experience has grown dramatically. As a pastor, I have sat with families in waiting rooms and prayed with them. And personally, you may know that my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer some years ago now, six years ago now, and not to be outdone, a couple years later, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. And she and I have logged time in waiting rooms for each other. I remember sitting in the Beaumont Hospital waiting room while Angie had a 12-hour surgery. And then a few years later, it was her turn to sit in the waiting room while I had a 12-hour surgery. Honestly, I think it's easier to be the one having surgery than being the one doing the waiting. I would rather be in an operating room than in a waiting room. In the operating room, you get to sleep through the whole thing. In the waiting room, sleep is often elusive. There's this feeling of helplessness. You desperately want to do something, want to contribute something, but there's nothing that can be done, and all you can do is wait, and it is so frustrating. You don't want to be in the waiting room. You want to be with your loved one, but you can't be there, and you, you don't want to be home or somewhere else either, and so you're stuck in this in-between place, dependent on other people, wanting more information than is being provided. But what I want us all to see today is that God does some of his best work in the waiting rooms of life. God is present in the waiting. In fact, it's possible that God is more present in the waiting. For Noah and his family, the ark was a giant floating waiting room. The news had been given that the world was being remade, but what it was going to look like wasn't clear, and it was that awkward in-between. The story of Noah and the ark is in the book of Genesis, chapters 6, 7, and 8. And uh, let's start in uh, today in chapter 7, verse 1. The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family. And this phrase, go into the ark, enter the ark, uh, could best be translated, come into the ark. The original language has this idea of come. And I think this is a really important distinction. There's a big difference between God saying go and God saying come. Come into the ark. 
carries this idea that, that God is already there and is inviting Noah and his family to join him. One of the great lies of the enemy is that God is not there in the waiting. And that's a lie. God is present in the waiting. God is with you in the waiting. Think about it. What was the largest waiting room in the history of the world? Or at least in the history of Israel, it was the wilderness, the desert. For God's people, the wilderness was this gigantic waiting room in between their freedom from slavery and their entering the promised land. And this waiting room lasted 40 years. They were 40 years in the land in between. And God was with them every step of the way. God camped in the middle of their camp. God guided them and provided for them. Uh, the Bible says that God would lead them as a, as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In other words, they could see this representation of the presence of God day or night. And when the pillar moved, they moved. And when the pillar stopped, they stopped. Imagine having such a, a visible physical reminder of the presence of God. Imagine such clarity of guidance. Go where the fire goes, stop when the fire stops. Now, we don't really know what it looked like actually, but here's one artistic rendition of that pillar of fire. This is the Hebrew camp, and in the middle of the camp was the tabernacle, designed to be the dwelling place for God. God dwelt right in the middle of them. God dwelt in the midst of them. And this fire, when it stopped, when the pillar of cloud or fire stopped, they would set up camp. And they would set up that tabernacle, that portable home, right under the pillar, sort of position it right where God's presence would reside. When you think about it, was there ever a time in the rest of their history where they experienced such a dramatic sense of God's presence? And the answer is no. This waiting room season was unique. The waiting room years were their best years. For generations, they would tell waiting room stories. Now, they didn't like being in the waiting room at the time. Nobody does. God was present with them in the waiting, but really what they wanted was not God's presence. What they really wanted was to live their lives in plenty without needing God. The waiting room is a place of need, and nobody likes to need. And that's why they hated the waiting room, and that's why you do too. But it's precisely when you are in need that you experience more of God's presence and power. The waiting room is an invitation from God for more of God, to know God in ways that only a place of dependence and isolation and desperation could ever bring about. The waiting room is actually one of the greatest places ever, but it's not easy. Let's look back at what happened to Noah uh, when Noah entered the ark. This is Genesis chapter 7, verse 4. God says, Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, now, so they enter the ark, and when does it start to rain? Seven days later. 
They get on the ark and they're waiting. Any minute now, some rain's going to come. It doesn't come for seven days. What did God say during those seven days? Nothing is recorded. When you're in a waiting room, you may experience a period of strategic silence. People wise in spiritual life say there will come to each person a season of strategic silence, not because God does not love us, but because He does. What is God doing in that season of silence? God is training us. He's teaching us to rely upon what He has already said. He's teaching us to persevere. A season of silence comes to each of us. The story goes on. Uh, if we continue on in verse 16, 716, the animals going in were male and female. That's very helpful for the future of the earth, of every living thing, as God commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. The animals entered as God commanded Noah. You, you think it's going to say, as God commanded the animals. But Noah's obedience is key in this. Now, Noah could not have arranged all those animals entering the ark by himself. God did that. But God credits God's own activity to Noah. Noah obeys and the animals enter. Noah obeys and the door shuts. Obedience kicks off God's divine activity. Obedience unleashes, in many ways, the activity of God. So never believe that our obedience doesn't make a difference in the heart or the activity of God. This summer, I bought a, 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 a great birthday gift for my wife. Now, I've given her terrible gifts over the years. Uh, there was the year I gave the Star Wars DVD collection set. There was the year I gave the vacuum cleaner. I've given some horrible gifts, but this year, I think I nailed it. I got her a pedal assist bicycle. It's a bicycle you pedal, but it's got a battery and a motor, and when you pedal, it kicks in a little power to help you pedal. You have to pedal. It's not a moped or a motorcycle. If you don't pedal, nothing happens, but when you pedal, this little power comes into play. And I think sometimes that's like obedience to God. We have to act, we have to do something, and then this kind of power comes in. It's triggered by our obedience, but make no mistake, it is the power of God. We obey. God provides what we need. And Noah learned this in his period of waiting. The waiting room is a place of provision. And God often provides through people. We live in a time where we're surrounded by people who are in the waiting room of life right now. Uh, their old world has crumbled and the new has not yet arrived. And how do we minister to those people in our lives who find themselves in a period of waiting? God might be calling you to be his hands at his feet. So I'd like you to think right now and ask God to call to mind a person that God would like you to help and assist a person who's in one of those waiting rooms of life right now. Ask God to bring to mind the face and the name of a specific person. And then ask God to call a uh, to your mind a specific way that you could serve them. Maybe God's calling you to pray for them. Maybe God's calling you to help them with transportation or food. Maybe God's calling you to financial assistance. What is God calling you to do? And then... You communicate that to 
the person you have in mind. I just want you to know you can count on me to pray for you. Just want you to know we're going to come alongside you financially and provide help every month for the next six months. We feel like God has called us to that and we're really happy to be part of your story. You ask God to call mind a person, an action, and then you do what God tells you to do. God often provides through people and we are to model this God of loving kindness. Let's continue with the story of Noah because we have to do with patience. Uh, Genesis 7:24. Watch this uh, surprise. The waters flooded the earth for how long? 150 days. That wasn't mentioned before. The only time that was given before was 40 days and 40 nights. God said it was going to rain 40 days and 40 nights. What's going on here? Well, it did rain 40 days and 40 nights, but that water flooded the earth for 150 days. I don't think Noah anticipated 150 days. I think he had 40 on his brain. And the reason I think Noah had 40 on the brain is because the story says this, uh, reading on in the book of Genesis, after 40 days, Noah opened a window. Day 40 is here. Whew, let's pop the window open and get ready to leave the ark. He opened a window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up on the earth. The raven doesn't come back. And then Noah tries again, thinking maybe uh, the, uh, a dove would be smarter. And the story says that he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface. It's day 40. Sent the dove out, but the dove could not find, uh, could find nowhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. What's going on? God said 40, it's day 40, and we still can't get off this stinking ark. And the ark is floating rudderless, sailless. It's just a, a, a bobbing box in the water and uh, it's going without direction and that's kind of how it feels right now. And then the story goes on. That, that dove, uh, he sends out a second time. Then he's, he waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. Finally, he waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. Noah was expecting 40 days, but water covered the earth 150 days, and they're still on that ark. On day 42, I'm sure they thought, hey, no big deal. Maybe I counted wrong. It's okay. We waited 40. We can wait a couple more days. Day 50, I imagine his wife and kids saying, I thought you said 40. And Noah says, yeah, that's what God said, 40. On day 75, we have to get off this ark. Even when the ark landed, boof, on the ground, the water had receded. It was so wet and muddy that they could not leave the ark for another two months. An expected one month of quarantine turned into seven months. What happens when the hoped-for day passes? What happens when the waiting period goes on longer than you expected? 
The temptation will be to believe the standard waiting room lies. God has misled you. God lied to you. God is not there for you. Don't believe it for a moment. Believe the truth. God is faithful and he is present and he is available in the waiting. In a moment, our musicians are going to lead us in a song called Take Courage. And the chorus of this song says, Take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. God is in the waiting. He's in the waiting. The waiting room is a place of invitation. It is not a place where you are alone. It's a place of presence and trust and help and provision and faithfulness. Now, Noah and his family do eventually leave that ark. We're going to look at that next week. And when they do, God gave a rainbow as a sign of the covenant that God had made with Noah, as a sign of God's promise that he would never again flood the earth in a form of judgment to remake the world. And we can trust in that promise. We can remember that every time we see a rainbow. But the Bible does say that when Jesus returns, there will be a form of global judgment again. In essence, God will be making the world new once more. And it will be a lot like the days of Noah. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. These are the words of Jesus. He says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Do not assume that you have all the time in the world. God has provided an ark and a door. And if you've never entered that ark, if you've never walked through that door and entered kind of that spiritual ark, you can do that today. Jesus is the ark that preserves and protects and lifts. And in Jesus, we find our rescue. So if you'd like to say yes to Jesus today, uh, you can say right now, God, I, I recognize that I am drowning spiritually and that I need to be rescued. I, I need to be lifted up. So Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to be my forgiver and my leader. Be for me the ark of my salvation. Let's all pray together now. God, I pray for those that you have called to enter the door to life. Give them the courage to follow and obey. Grant them joy and peace in you. And then, God, we pray over our entire church family and all of our guests this morning. So many people are in the waiting room, a waiting room of some kind right now. Call to our minds a person in waiting that we can support and encourage. Guide us to the specific actions you want us to take. Help them and us to find you in the waiting. Help us not to miss your presence and the depth of relationship found only in those in-between times. Give courage and comfort and guidance.
This we pray in the name of our Rescuer, Jesus. Amen and Amen.